0: All right, well, we live in an earthquake country, and this past year, there were some big earthquakes in California. People have been fearing the big one for a long time now. And say you wanted to buy a house, but it's sitting right on a fault line, but you really like the house. So at the very least, you would just go have a thorough inspection of the foundation. You want to make sure it's well built. And it's not like you can predict the future or stop a mass disaster, but you want some reasonable assurance that, you know, this house has been built well and it it could withstand a sizable earthquake. Well, in a sense, you can picture God's coming judgment like an earthquake. His wrath will shake every person like a house and some will stand by his grace. Others will fall and be condemned. And Christians are those who know the earthquake is coming, but they believe in God. They accept his son Christ by faith to be saved. They've taken refuge in Christ. And so along these lines, can they have assurance that they will, they will stand in the day of judgment. Can they know and should they know that they really are safe and secure and that their hope in Christ is not just wishful thinking, but it is sure and certain. And the issue at hand is the assurance of salvation. And the answer is yes. Yes. Christians can and should know that their salvation is secure and that, that they will stand in the day of judgment by God's grace. They should know they will enter heaven. In fact, they are meant to know in the here and now. We recently started studying this subject in scripture, the assurance of salvation. And today we're going to begin studying how assurance is found. Meaning, you know, what is our assurance based on? How can you know that your name really is written in the book of life. And so for this, we need to study the basis of assurance. And that's what we begin today, the basis of assurance. You can kind of think of your faith like a house. And with assurance, you're wondering, you know, is my house sturdy? Is it true? And for that, well, you want to start with the foundation. Check the foundation of the house. And the basis of assurance is, well, it's kind of like that foundation. And it has many layers. There are several components to the assurance of salvation. But we now need to just do some Bible study to identify these layers, understand them, and evaluate them. We need to check out the foundation of the house of faith that we can gain assurance that in our house, it's sturdy, it's faithful, it's true. And so today we're going to begin by looking at the, the deepest layer of assurance. This is, you might say, like the, the subterranean foundation. This is the, the concrete slab poured right into the ground. And so we, we're going to find that the primary basis for our assurance is trust in the promises of God. Trust in the promises of God. You know, when it comes to assurance, there's a lot of talk about self-evaluation. You've got to evaluate yourself yourself. Your deeds, your works, your performance, your righteousness, your repentance, your obedience, your love. And we're going to see there is a role that self-evaluation plays. We'll get there and put it in its right place. Self-evaluation has a place. But it's not the primary role. Because our performance is not that reliable. And the primary basis of our assurance, like our salvation, rests outside of ourselves. It's found in God and his word. Because at the end of the day, would you say that when it comes to, you know, the knowledge, if you are saved, is your performance more reliable than than God's word and than God's own promises? No. Assurance, like our salvation, ultimately depends on God's promises, that there's nothing more certain or more sure than his word and his promises. And we're going to find what that really means when it comes to assurance and how, that, that gives us that the feeling of assurance. Assurance, you know, being subjected to believes that's gonna happen to them. Now, John five twenty-four, just flip through some here. John five twenty-four and these all come from Christ Himself. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. See how he elaborates. Who has already avoided judgment? Who has passed out of death into life? He says, he who believes. And he doesn't stutter. That's a clear promise. He who believes has eternal life. He says that again in John 6. John 6 verse 40 and 47. John six forty for this is the will of my father. So here's God's will that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. And in verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I mean, that, that's as short and simplified as it gets right there in verse 47. He who believes has eternal eternal life. It's not really mixing words. It's pretty clear that if you believe, he says you have eternal life. One more here, John 10. You can turn to one more, John 10, verses 27 and 28. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So who gets eternal life? Well, the sheep. He gives eternal life to the sheep. Who are the sheep? Well, those who hear his voice and follow him. If you hear his voice, you follow him, you're a sheep, and you get eternal life. It's, and it's pretty simple, but just, just establish it. Romans 10, 9 and 10, I'll read myself. I mean, you know this. If you confess, With your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Then he says, for with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. All right, so these verses, and there are many more, just establish the basic yet paramount fact That God gives salvation to us through faith. And believing in Jesus alone, it's the only doorway into eternal life. And none of these verses are presented as maybes or likelihoods. Like, if you believe, you might be saved. Like, you know, 50-50. Or, you know, if you follow Jesus, maybe he'll let you in. That's not how it goes. These all express God's clear, straightforward promises. Right. those who believe receive eternal life. Just It is that simple. Now, okay, how does this relate to assurance? Well, again, what, what's the basic question we're asking when it comes to the assurance of salvation? You want to know, like, do I possess eternal life? I want to know, do I, do I actually have it? How do I know that I'm saved? The more you think about it, the best answer to that question is really also the simplest answer in light of God's promises. As we've seen, God promises to give eternal life to whoever believes. So, do you believe? Right? Do you believe in the Son? You want to know if you're saved? Well, have you confessed with your mouth Jesus as Lord? And have you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Well, if so, God promises you are saved. That There's no other way to get saved. And so if you've done that, if you in your heart of hearts can say that you have trusted in these promises to save you, he likewise says, well, you have eternal life. Now, I know you're not perfect. Even your faith is not perfect. But if in your heart of hearts, you can say that you've completely trusted Jesus Christ and his gospel to save you from sin, Well, you have in God's promises a strong basis for assurance. He's just told you. If you've done that, if you've believed, you have eternal life. And then from there, your assurance is just a matter of taking seriously God's promises to to give you eternal life based on faith. You can be assured based on your faith, your trust, in him and in his word that you are saved. Look, I know you still have questions. You're, you're probably sitting there wondering, like, okay, tell me about the exceptions, tell me about the caveats. Hang on to those questions. We, we really will cover it all. But first and foremost, just put these simple points together because they're still valid and true. This is the, the bottom layer of the house of faith and assurance. God says, whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. You believe in Jesus. Well, therefore, you can be assured you have eternal life. There's no other way to gain eternal life. If you believe, you can be assured. Now, more to cover, but speaking of eternal life, let's let's kind of run with that thought itself. So here's kind of a a second point I want to establish this evening. Again, it's very simple, but those who believe possess eternal life. Just want you to like. Think that through with me. That Those who believe possess eternal life. Let's just establish a related point here. And you'll see where I'm going with this. But let's just show how Scripture teaches those who believe in Jesus, they presently possess eternal life. I know you've heard that. You believe that. Maybe you take it for granted, though. But, but God promises that if you believe in Jesus... That right now, you possess life eternal. Not that you will later, but you possess an eternal life right now. An eternal life which by nature, you can't lose. Now, that's last week on eternal security. Let's just kind of put this together. So, you know, stay with me again. Go back to John 3. So, a few verses here. Back to John 3 at the end of the chapter. Verse 36, he says, he who believes in the son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Those who don't obey Christ, those who don't follow him, they don't have the life. They don't have eternal life. They're still under the wrath of God and judgment. But he who believes in the son has eternal life. It's in the present. You presently Possess eternal life. Now you don't have to turn here. We already looked at these verses, but you know, again, John 5 24, he says, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Again, it's a present possession. John six, forty-seven, he who believes has eternal life. John ten twenty-eight, to the sheep, he gives eternal life to them. Not he will, he presently gives it. And John 11, flip there though. John eleven twenty three through 26. This is after Lazarus has died and he comes and he sees Martha who's grieving. John 11, look, verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha here is expressing hope that her brother has died, but you know, he will rise in the future. Her hope for her brother is just only future. In the resurrection. But you see, Jesus here reassures her no, no, I, I am the very source of resurrection life. And that those who believe in him, they possess that life right now. They will never die because they presently possess that life in him. That they have new life, they have eternal life in salvation. The moment they believe, you have life eternal. Your body will perish, that will be resurrected, but. That you have life now. So, look, eternal life. There is, of course, a future dimension to eternal life in Scripture sometimes. Because, look, the Bible does, of course, talk about our salvation sometimes in the future tense. That we await final glorification. We await the fullness of our eternal life. And that is ahead of us. But at the same time, as we've seen in these passages, and there's many more, that these several passages teach that the true believer possesses eternal life right now. That when you come to Christ, you're not waiting to lay hold of this eternal life that he promised. Like he gives you provisional life. And once you die, then you, then you really get the good stuff. Now, these passages teach that God gives this, this life, whatever it is, this life eternal, he gives it to you when you believe. God's promise is not believe in Jesus and someday you, you gain, you'll you gain eternal life. You know, trust in Jesus until you die and, and then you'll gain eternal life. No, we know at that point we'll come into the fullness of that life, but you gain it right now when you believe. And so God promises to grant eternal life to those who believe. Now eternal life, what is it? What well, it is both a quality of life? It's a glorious life and it's a quantity of life. It's everlasting life. And really the emphasis is on the quantity and that, that goes with the eternal, the adjective eternal. That's why it's called eternal life. The emphasis is on that. This is everlasting life in glory. And so look, it would be false to say that believers possess eternal life right now while also saying they could lose it. I mean, if, if you, Could lose eternal life, you never actually possessed eternal life. By definition, it, it never ends. It'd be a contradiction in terms. Eternal life, by definition, if possessed, can never be lost. And if our new life in Christ could end or be lost, describing it as eternal and saying we have it right now would be misleading and false. Better to call it, you know, provisional life or initial life but not eternal life. Jesus would have to say, he who believes has initial life, but only when they persevere do they gain eternal life. That's not what it says though. That's because eternal life is an appropriate term for the salvation God gives us presently. Because when we believe, we truly are taking hold of eternal life, everlasting life. That new life really is eternal. It will go on forever. It will not end. And Jesus is resurrection life. And when we behold him in faith, we, we possess that life. So now just take these thoughts and, and pair them with what we learned last week about eternal security. That, that God gives eternal life per his will. And then God actively preserves his people in that eternal life. And so all this goes to say, if it can ever be said of you, that you possess eternal life, and just by definition and by God's own saving promises, you will forever possess that eternal life. You can't lose it. And so again, let's just connect these dots to assurance. You know, with assurance, you're asking, how do I know that I possess eternal life? Well, what have we seen? It It is really simple. You know, Who receives eternal life? Those who believe. Do you believe? Have you believed in the name of the son of God? He who has the son has the life. The life is the son. And so if you have the son by faith and God says and God promises, you right now possess eternal life. And that's a life which by definition cannot end. So, you can rest assured in your eternal salvation by God's promise. I mean, do you want assurance of salvation? Well, you just need to believe God when he says, he who believes and has received the Son has eternal life. Now, I know you're thinking it just can't be that simple. And in a way, it's not. But turn to 1 John chapter 1. I still don't want you to take for granted this point. That our trust in God's word and his promises to save us by faith alone, that's the primary basis of our assurance. So First John will help us with that. It's really why John was writing. And look at John's prologue, his introduction, First John 1, verses 1 through 4. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's talking about Jesus. He's the word of life. He says, the life was manifested. We have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father. And was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard. We proclaim to you also. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father. And with his son Jesus Christ. These things we write. So that our joy may be made complete. Now do you see here how on one hand. John views eternal life. As a person. It's not just a thing. It's a person. This Life we're talking about is a person. It's the word of life, Christ, Christ Jesus. He is life eternal. He's resurrection life. Didn't he say in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 17, 3, he prayed to the father. He said, this is eternal life. and Jesus defined eternal life. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He defines eternal life as as knowing God and knowing Christ. It's not just living forever. Eternal life, essentially, it's a person. Christ is life. And this person has been manifested to us to bring us into that life, this, this heavenly life. John testifies here to the reality of this person. That's what he's saying when, you know, we've heard him, we've seen him, we've touched him. This word of life, that the word became flesh. This John in his gospel, chapter one, that this word who was life became flesh to manifest life for us, to bring us into his life. And so John says this so that his readers might be assured that everything he has to say about this word of life is true. That he really came in the form of Jesus, and John saw him, John touched him, John beheld him. What he has to say about him is true. And then he goes on to write because he wants his readers to know that this Jesus, who's life incarnate, that to, for them to receive life, they need only to receive him. And he also wants them to know that if they have received him, will they possess his life? Right now, they possess life eternal. He wants them to share in the joy of salvation. Joy of salvation is a big deal. You can be saved, but not have the joy of salvation because of doubt, because of a lack of assurance, because of sin in your life, you know, many reasons. It's important to have the joy of your salvation. It's akin to assurance. The Lord wants us to have the joy of salvation, to know that you are saved. But the thing is, you're not going to share in the joy of salvation if, if you don't know, you have salvation. And John, he wants them to enter that, that our joy may be made complete. And so largely he writes simply so that they may know they've received salvation. They've received eternal life. Okay, so now that's just the prologue. Turn to, well, really the end, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. As he wraps up, he, he brings it back home and, and kind of lets us know. Even though he's done this throughout the whole letter, he, he brings it home and lets us know how we know we've received this life in Christ. So in verse 9, he says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. The testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son, The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. Now, we're trying to get actually to the verses after this, but what these verses are saying is God has already made things clear. He's given his testimony. Where is life found? What is eternal life? God's already declared it. It's it's Christ. We're going to see it's in Christ. He is the life, and if you don't believe that, You make God out to be a liar. He has testified concerning his son. Verse 11. The testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Verse 12. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. And then verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Think that through. And there's, it's kind of a lot in there. John writes in a simple way, but it still can feel like there's a lot. God has revealed truth about his Son, about eternal life, about, about life that, that he wants to bring us into. What is that truth? What is God's testimony? Well, it's concerning his son. And the testimony is that this this life has already come. It's come in a person, the person of Jesus. And God has given life to us, but it's found in a person. It's found in Christ. And so, do you want life? Do you want to enter into this life eternal? Do you want life with God? Well... He says, "He who has the sun has the life. if this life is in the sun." Now this kind of sounds you know metaphysical, but if this life is in the sun, well, whatever that means, if you want the life, you're going to have to have the sun. you're going to have to go through the sun. And so look, verse 12 is actually pretty sim- simple. He who has the sun has he doesn't say life, he says the life. If you have the sun, you have the life." It, this life, this life, eternal life with God is only gained one way through the son, by believing in the son, receiving the son. So he who has the son has the life. He who doesn't have the son does not have the life. And why is John even telling them this? Well, verse 13, he's writing to let them know that, look, whoever has received Jesus, you, you have it. You have eternal life. There's nothing else to search for. It's in Christ. If you have him, you have everything and you presently have eternal life. If you've believed in the son and received him, you should know that you have eternal life. That's how you gain eternal life. That's the only way you gain eternal life. And so if you've believed in the name of the son of God to John, you have eternal life to John. This is the fundamental basis of assurance. You know, John writes his letter and it's, we will see in the weeks to come, it's it's critical to any study of assurance, how we can know we're saved. But the more you study he down, he will talk about, you know, your performance, evaluating your love for others, evaluating your deeds. John talks a lot about that, but John himself understands that at the basic level, the most fundamental level, the knowledge that you have eternal life is just based on your faith in Christ, trusting God at His word when He said, If you believe you have eternal life, if you've received the Son, I mean that that's it. there's nothing more that that to do here, like you, you just believe it 's based on faith, salvation is based on faith, and assurance is likewise largely based on faith. You have to see how your assurance that you presently possess eternal life is married to God's own promise. That whoever believes has eternal life. Now, once again, you might be thinking this sounds too simple. I mean, assurance of salvation—you're saying it's only a matter of taking God at His word that He says whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. You believe in Jesus, therefore, you have eternal life. Like that's it? That that can't possibly be it, right? And there is more to add. There is more to add. But yes, though. This trust in God's word and his promises, it really is the primary basis for our assurance. I mean, it has to be. as like I said before, you know, what more sure or more reliable indicator is there of assurance than God's own word or his own promise? I mean, do we have an alternative? Do we have something else on which we can base our feeling that we are saved other than God's own word and promises? Is our performance more reliable or trustworthy as an indicator if we are truly saved than God's own word and promise? Now, it, it matters. We'll, we'll get to it. But is there anything more sure than just God's word? And I think we just have just enough time to hopefully drive this home tonight with one last passage, at Hebrews 6. Let's, let's go there. Hebrews 6. 13 through 20 and the author of Hebrews is writing because he wants his readers to know that they have salvation. In chapter six, verse 11, he wants them to have the full assurance of hope until the end. He wants them to have the full assurance of hope. They have hope, but he wants them to have the full assurance of their hope that will lead them to persevere in the end or to the end. And so he writes down in verses 13 through 20 to show them, you know, where our full assurance is ultimately found. How can we have full assurance of hope? Our hope is salvation. How can we have full assurance of that hope? What's the greatest indicator? Well, it's ultimately just found in, in God in his promises. And so the author is going to use the example of Abraham to to show this. And so look at verse 13. He says, for when God made the promise to Abraham. He's talking about God's promises to, to bless Abraham, to give him a descendant and so forth. When God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Now, Abraham is, of course, the chief example of faith. That God promised to bless him. God promised to give him many descendants. Abraham didn't see what God promised. How would he know those would really come true? How is he going to gain assurance that God's promises were true? But Abraham knew that there's nothing else he could look to greater than God's word. He simply chose to take God at His word. I don't see anything here. My, my wife is old and barren, but I'm just going to take you at your word and trust in those promises. And he rested assured that it, it's going to happen. That's the right response. Look though, from God's perspective. God wanted Abraham to trust him and to believe in him. But what else could God do to prove to Abraham his promises? I mean, what greater assurance could God give to Abraham than his own word? I mean, God just came out right and said it like, I promise to do this. So what else can he say? Is there anything more sure or more reliable than God's promise? And so God merely added an oath to his promise, which basically means he just doubles down on his word. It's like, I've said it here. I'll give you an oath. I swear I will bless you. Look at verse 16. He goes on to say, for men swear by one greater than themselves. And with them, an oath is given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. But in the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. So, just reflecting on this, I mean, look back. Do you see God's desire here? That God is trying to, verse 17, show the heirs of the promise, that's us, the unchangeableness of his purpose. How would he show this? By his word. That God has paired his promise with an oath, these two unchangeable things, and it's not possible for him to lie. His promise or his oath. And so now, we who believe, this gives us all the encouragement we need to take hold of the hope set before us. What is the hope set before us? Because we now inherit God's promises. Promises to save. Promises to bless. Even attached to Abraham, that he would bless all those, or in Abraham, he would bless all the families of the earth. We've inherited these promises to bless, promises to save. How can we get the the boldness and the confidence to lay hold of these promises? And to just, we have this hope, but to gain the full assurance of hope. Well, his argument here is just God has sworn it. That those who believe in Jesus shall enter his rest. And what more can God do to prove that than to just give? give you his word. There's nothing greater than his word. And so when you realize the power of God's promises, you find you, you have all the assurance you need to take hold of the hope of the gospel. You're not going to find a greater assurance than his promises. And so in verses 19 and 20, just to finish the section, he says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And for there he's going to go on and talk about Christ's priesthood. But this hope set before believers is salvation, and based on God's promises and God's oath, believers can assuredly take hold of their hope. That you can you can imagine your hope. In salvation, like it's, it's a done deal. God is faithful. He's sworn. Believers can have assurance and security in salvation based on God's promises. And their hope and salvation will become the anchor of their soul. And that's what we're after, right? With this study, you want that anchor of your soul. And it's the full assurance of hope. And it's ultimately found in God's own word. And all in all, this is why we say there's no greater basis For the assurance of our salvation than God's own word and promises. Because again, is our own performance more sure, more reliable, more trustworthy than God's promises? It's not. In his word, he has promised to save forever those who receive his son. Have you received his son by faith? Well, then you can be assured of your salvation. Now, we're out of time, but I know... Some of you, you're, you're still troubled. You're still not satisfied. You still have questions. Because you might hear all this and say, okay, that's all fine. And I'm not trying to disregard my own study here. But you might think to yourself, like, well, I've, I believe this. I've believed God. And I, I believe his promises that whoever believes in Jesus is saved. You, you, you get that and you believe that. But you're still left with this kind of burning question you're just not sure if, if you have real faith, that if your faith in Jesus, the only thing that can save you is faith. And really the only thing that can assure you is, is that faith, trusting God. But you still wonder like, but how do I know like my faith or what I think is faith is real, that I'm not deceived and that I I have actual saving faith. That is a very good question. And that Question is why we're not just done here. That's why this is not the end of our assurance of salvation study. Because, in fact, scripture confronts us with the fact that there's such a thing as false faith and there's such a thing as false assurance. And there's a lot of people, you know, they say they believe in Jesus, but they're wrong, they're deceived. And so we still have, I feel like, a disconnect because. If you say, if, if there's this promise, whoever believes has eternal life, what's up with all those people who, I mean, they say they believe, but they go to hell. So clearly something's wrong here. There's some, some disconnect. Scripture would say, well, their faith was false. It was not of the saving variety. And so that's why this discussion now is going to change shape. Salvation is based on faith alone. And ultimately, the assurance, the knowledge that you are saved is based on faith as well. Trust in God and his promises just to save those who believe in Jesus. That, that's true. But now we're going to kind of pivot to a related but separate question. How do you know that you have the faith which, which saves? And, and you're going to see how that ties into your, your feeling of assurance. How do you know that, that your faith is genuine? That you've not been deceived? How do you know that you don't have a false, phony faith? It kind of sounds like we need to study now, not just the assurance of salvation, but something we might call the assurance of faith. How do I know my faith is real? And that's what we're going to get into next time and uh, see how this continues. So you have to stay with me. This all will come together in the end. But nonetheless, still don't take for granted though. And for those who, who do believe in Christ, you're not going to find anything more reliable, anything more trustworthy than God's own promises. Don't take those for granted. They're simple, but think about how, how profound they are. That the one who believes beholds the Son. There's no other hoops you have to jump through. Even though we, we still sin, we're fallen. But the one who is clinging to Christ uh, in genuine faith, is saved. You can rest in that knowledge. You can be assured in that knowledge. God has said, he has sworn, he's promised that if you trust in Christ, you'll enter into his rest. And like the author of Hebrews wanted them to know and that right there, it's all the, the fuel you need to propel you and pres- uh, persevere you in the faith. Okay. Let me pray and we'll continue. Quick question. Sure. Ed. hmm hmm the word for believe and the word for obey? Yeah. No, those are two different words. So, so that's the for the and right? Claire, I'm not following. It, it says here, he who right. Yeah, and you're expecting he who does not believe, but it says he who does not obey. Right. Yeah, I mean, in John, what's the difference, right? I mean, to believe is to obey, and to obey is to believe. So, but, okay, uh, so the reason why uh, look, I, I think I understand. I will, I'm going to go home and check the and- Okay. <laughs> 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 Don't no sweat Hey, you, yeah. Think about it and come call me or call me after, talk to me after if you, if you think more on that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. It should. Yeah. Yeah, they are different words. Then John, I think that's, well, Jesus says that intentionally. The one who does not obey the son or uh, John, this is John's testimony. Actually, I will not see the life. Um just really just to drive home the the fact that uh You know, that this is the obedience of the faith. Even before that, though, Abraham, you know, he, he believed, he was justified by faith. Genesis 15, even before that covenant. God, of course, condescends and is, you know, understands our frailty and weakness. And there's many times where, you know, it says you should not put the Lord to the test, but he still helps us with, you know, the, the signs and the things we need to see that we might believe because of the weakness of our faith. But, you know, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. And we we don't technically need anything to believe other than his promises. His word revealed is all we need. Anything more is is just grace. But, yeah. Okay. Any other questions, comments? Yeah, Ruth Ruthann? I'm not totally following. Like if, I mean, yeah, they're, they're all kind of similar ways of saying the same thing of just trusting Jesus, believing his word. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's your confidence in him and in his word and in his promises to, well, save you by faith. And so you do you, do you trust his, his word and promises to save those who believe? And as you believe, rest assured. Yeah. But there's still more to the story. So we'll come back next time and keep adding to it. Hopefully to clarify more. I, I actually think it will as we look at, it's helpful to look at the alternative as a false faith and a person with a false assurance and what marks that. You look at the negative, that can help us understand the positive a little bit more as well. So we'll do that next time. Let me close this in prayer. Lord God, we ask for your blessing on us as we depart and give us, give us understanding. We want to know you and your word, your will for us, the things you have revealed. You've made your salvation clear and uh, the assurance of salvation clear as well. You want us to know that we are saved. You, you desire, it's your will that we know that we have received eternal life. And ultimately though, how, how can we know that because you, you promise it. You promise to save those who have received the Son, who believe in the Son. And I pray we just we don't take that for granted and rest in the simple truth. You know, that as we believe, and as we have repented of our sin and, and trusted in Christ to save us, nothing else can be done to save us. That, that's it. And your word says now we have eternal life. We just need to put our confidence there. And in your word, your will, your promises, And uh, and that can give us the confidence we need to just take hold of the hope set before us and then run the race set before us with confidence. We trust you to preserve us and preserve that eternal life. But keep teaching us more. We want to just understand fully what this assurance of salvation is all about. And so be with us till next time and, and grow us in understanding. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.